Kia ora, and welcome to Ghost Stories Aotearoa. I'm your host, Lisette Prendey, fantasy author, actor, tarot reader, and self-confessed ghost obsessive. I believe there's a thin veil between the worlds of the living and the dead. And sometimes, sometimes, the veil slips and the dead peek through. Have you ever seen a ghost? Have you ever seen something you can't explain? Something that made the hair on the back of your neck stand up? Something that kept you up at night? Well, our guests have. So, keep listening, if you dare. Welcome back to Ghost Stories Aotearoa. This is the second part of our interview with paranormal investigator Mark Wallbank. If you haven't already, we suggest you go back and listen to part one. Listen on, if you dare. So you haven't really experienced a presence that is... Um, not friendly or anything like that, that kind of wants you out and, you know, giving you that vibe of like, not welcome. Not really. Not really. No, we haven't, we haven't really experienced anything negative. Um, not that I can remember. Um, yeah. Often, oftentimes it feels a little bit sad in some, in some mm-hmm. aspects um, when you're trying to communicate and the, the answers that you seem to be getting back um, gives the sort of impression that whatever's there might be, lost or maybe scared a bit mm. confused and frightened about where they are they don't know where they are um we've had quite a few answers come back that sort of seem that way that and you start feeling a bit sort of compassionate a bit sort of sympathetic to, towards whatever might be there because it, it's almost like you're dealing with um a real person mm. um and um there was one where we did uh was it at a residential place out in titarangi and we apparently were in contact with a young 10 year old boy called Jonathan, and um, we were doing that through a series of just tapping, tapping, we'd ask questions and we'd starting to get tap sounds, so just knocking sounds. Hmm. And these knocking sounds um, were coming from everywhere, from up above us, below us, around us, behind us, just, they were just sort of in the atmosphere, within the atmosphere of the room. Um, we, we didn't know where those taps were coming from, but they were only in response to the questions. And we did see a couple of um, short, shadows again running down the hallway behind us so there was like a again we had a short shadow uh, running around we had this little boy that was apparently communicating with us called jonathan and um he told us he used to live there and that he sees the family that lives there now and he thinks that they've seen him and we asked if he could see us and he said yes and then we asked if he was there with us in the room and he said no um We've transcribed the whole thing. It's um, it's all on the website. Wow. But we asked him if um, if he we we asked him where he was, and he said he didn't know. But he said it was all dark and he couldn't really see anything. And he said, "I said, is there anybody there with you?" And he said, "Yes, there are people here with us, with me." But he didn't know who they were, and so he was a bit frightened. And of course, the ladies in the team were starting to get a bit kind of upset about it because there's this young child that was confused and lonely mm. and you know upset. And um, and what do you do with that? What do you do with that information? You know, it just yeah. 
I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, we could just be completely wrong and that what we're just hearing is just random taps, but when you're not getting taps outside of the questions and it's only in response to the questions mm. and when you go through and you ask them to repeat things and you go through and you try and summarize all those answers again and you get the same answers back, um, you get confirmation with each answer. Um, often when we're getting an answer, we'll try and get a confirmation again, we'll ask them again yeah. just to confirm it and sometimes we'll do a triple confirmation and, mm. um, and it's consistently um, the same. It is very consistent. Yeah. So, what do you do with that? I mean, it's yeah. you can't see this person. You don't really know if there's somebody there, but what you're experiencing does kind of feel like it's a real interaction. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, so, what do you do? So, all we can do is really just document it and take it where it leads us, and um, we just sort of go with it. Um, mm. If we get a name, we'll go with that name. If we get a, some sort of interaction going, we'll just go with it and see where it leads. Hmm. And how do you get a name? Like, how did you get the name Jonathan from him? It takes a long time. Uh, with that, that one, that was through tapping. So we would ask him, and we'd have to go through the alphabet. We'd start with A, B, C, D, and he would tap when he hears the, the letter. Then we get second letter, third letter. Wow. So it takes a long time. And as you can imagine, to get, us, to get all the information, we got his age, we got um, a brief description of what he looked like, um, and all these little various answers from him which took a long time. It took about an hour and a half um, of just turning and throwing. And um, all the while we were filming everything, we couldn't figure out where the sound was coming from. And we've had similar, similar interactions with, um, there was a nurse in, uh, this is inside the old Spookers building, actually. The Spookers building at, at King Seat is the old nurse's quarters. And we were in there doing an investigation. And we were getting all these reactions with one of our EMF meters, which was going off only at the end of questions. So it was, it was going off in response to two questions. Um, and again, we ended up doing beeping, one, you know, one for yes and two for no, that kind of thing. And um, it would beep in response to our questions. And we ended up, again, but, but good hour and a half of, of communication. And we ended up getting her name, her age, that she died there, that she was pregnant at the time, she was married. Um, she told us that she was still working there. You know, we had so much information wow. from this woman. And could you um, follow up and see if it matched any records or anything? Or? We did try. Um, like with Jonathan, uh, we couldn't get any, any um, records mm -hmm. from that because it was a privacy thing and they wouldn't give out the schools. You know, we knew what school he went to, but we, they, we couldn't get any names or, or any details from the school. And with her, her name was, um, what was her name? Um, but yeah, we couldn't get any, we couldn't get any uh, information because it's the whole Privacy Act and um, yeah. trying to get information about deaths and things is it's very difficult. When you're doing these like home visits, like with that one where you encountered Jonathan, was that because the owners of the house had had experiences seeing things, or yeah. and they called? They were all yeah, yeah. They were all seeing things, and in all the rooms, um, the father was always seeing a young uh, young boy in his room, and he's the one that um, said that it was a young boy that I keep seeing, and the daughter she'd seen um, a small shadow, a small shadow go past her room as well, and quite often um, they would see people in the living room and people in the kitchen and just sounds of footsteps and people walking around. And it was, there's a huge list of activity. It's quite fascinating. And um, yeah, it was just quite interesting that the things that we were experiencing seemed to uh, uh, imply that it was a young person as well. Wow. So do you get quite a few people getting in touch with you for private residencies and they're like, something weird is going on. 
Do you guys want to come and have a look or can you come and have a look and see what's going on? Yeah, not so much these days because we don't really do home residence um, anymore because we've found that the majority of them, majority of them um, are sort of mental health issues. Um, um, and you get a lot of people that will call you in and you can, you can tell straight away that they have issues and um, we're not really qualified to sort of be dealing with that and it can get quite dangerous. Um, we're not qualified to be doing it and we don't want to sort of uh, fuel any fears which does happen um, just by turning up to somebody's house um, if somebody has a fear of somebody being in their house just by you believing them enough to turn up to their house and have a look it's kind of reinforcing it so you've got to be very careful we did one uh, investigation which was quite scary it was um, this guy had serious serious issues which he didn't tell us about at the beginning and to the point where he was scared. He thought people were breaking into his house every night and he had a, a giant knife right beside his bed and he had bottles of wine, bottles of wine all around his bed. He was just an alcoholic, just drinking, drinking and um, he'd drink himself to sleep. A big knife at the ready and um, he was obviously quite, yeah, a messed up person. So we decided, uh, no, we can't really help you. Yeah, so, we... so can you generally determine the difference between someone who might have mental health issues that are being managed and then legitimately having experiences and then the opposite of being like, you know, people with mental health issues that co are causing, potentially, yeah, causing stuff yeah. to be believed that isn't happening. Is there a reasonable... Well, so we yes, we don't really know because, I mean, who's to say that people with mental health issues or any, anything to do with like perhaps yeah, anxiety or even dyslexia mm. or anything, anything like that, who's to say that that doesn't open up the mind to other things to be to come in like ghosts and paranormal activity perhaps yeah. they are more open to experiencing that kind of thing so we can't rule that out because maybe these people are in a different mind state than ourselves and they can bring in these things and they are actually yeah, sure. experiencing paranormal more than we we can so we can't discount that but we do have to look at the other side of it where mm. if it's a mental health issue uh, we aren't qualified to be dealing yeah. with that and we don't know how deep we could get into that and if it um it could trigger something within them it could be disaster it could be very tragic you know it could lead to something that we don't want to be part of yeah um, totally there have been times where people have said well my daughter she she wakes up screaming every morning uh, every night because she says there's people in her room and she keeps hearing things in her room and she keeps she's too scared to be in her room um so we'll say okay look we'll come around and we'll do a quick emf sweep of that room and oftentimes we'll find out that there'll be wiring household wiring and things like that right right through the wall where her head would be on her, where her pillow is huh. and there's been quite a few um, um times where we've just said look move her bed move her bed to the other side of the room and yeah. see how that goes and oftentimes that fixes it because her head is away from the emf field it's coming through that wall um, yeah. It could be as simple as that. You know, as simple as that. A lot of people need to. Um, they don't think about that that side of it. And once people start learning about EMF and all the natural causes to other, you know, which could appear at first to be paranormal, then they start looking for these things and they can start debunking their own experiences. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Mm. Yeah, so that it can be very helpful, I guess, eh, to sort of go. Oh, so there is, yeah. Yeah. Knowledge brings power, as they say. <laughs> a logical explanation for this, yeah. That's yeah. So a little bit of knowledge means you have a little bit more power over your household and uh, 
it can control you can control yeah. your fears just a i mean bit hey maybe maybe we should all have an emf <laughs> meter yeah. just to go around and be like ah okay this explains a lot mm. <laughs> wow. I mean, we've had people that are just um scared in their own homes because they're seeing orbs and they'll send us photos and videos of orbs in their house and you can tell straight away it's just dust yeah it's just dust and it's um you know, they'll have their windows open at night and there'll be mosquitoes buzzing around and they'll capture these on things, you know, and we've seen enough of that now that we know what dust looks like. We know what yeah. moisture in the air looks like. We know what insects look like. So we can look at these and say, well, I th we think it's just dust. It looks like dust. And, yeah. and oftentimes they'll come back and say, well, no, our house is clean. Our house is really clean. There's no dust. <laughs> Everyone's got hospitals, that. <laughs> yeah, even, even hospitals have dust. I mean, yeah. you have to be living in some sort of vacuum to not have dust. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I do yeah, find so, orbs to be quite interesting, you know, when everyone's yeah. like, oh my God, it's an orb. It's like, yeah, it's more likely dust than anything else. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, orbs seem to be... But a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people yeah. don't know about um, dust orbs. They don't realise that what cameras can actually do, the illusions that can come from a camera mm. um, and light and distance and perspective and all that kind of thing. So but once, you learn, once, you, once you learn these things, you can sort of put it into action for yeah. next time you see them. Yeah. And we do a lot of that with our public events. We'll... Um, We'll try to educate people during public events. We'll we'll show people how dust orbs are made. We'll actually just walk up some stairs and walk down, and then we'll show them on the camera. Look at all the dust orbs. We've created the dust storm just by walking down that stairs, those stairs. Yeah. Um, and that's as e how that's how easy it is. And look, as that dust particle gets close to the lens, it becomes really fuzzy, and it looks like it's mm -hmm. huge, but it's not. It's just yeah. close. And the ones in the distance are, are tiny. And it's just a matter of like we can go into a room and just turn a torch on. You turn a torch on with the beam, and if you can see that beam. If you can see the beam of your torch, well, then there's something that that light is hitting, and it'll be dust particles or moisture in the air, um, because a torch shouldn't have a beam. You shouldn't actually be able to see that beam. Mm. And for, for there to be a beam coming from a torch, it needs to be hitting something. Yeah, I do find... Um I have to admit that when I see photos online or, you know, taken in some of the inv investigation groups, I'm, yeah, I, I find myself the most skeptical about the photos um, where they're like, oh, I took a photo of nothing and there was a person and a blurry person, but it looks sort of like a human form. And then you do see some photos where you're like, yeah, that's weird, you know, like just a photo taken of a family member and then there's a black murky figure behind them. And you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, unless you're like a Photoshop whiz that's odd you know and you're yeah. just like i don't know but it's weird <laughs> i found it's just a matter of just looking looking at the uh, photograph or video from a different angle like okay there's the ghost angle but then look at try and look at it from a different perspective um there are, there are many photographs where if you look at it straight up you think wow that looks like a shadow person in the background mm -hmm. but if you know anything about photography and, and low lighting you'll know that anything that's in low lighting especially if you've got a, a slow shutter speed of a camera or a cell phone that person in the background, if they're moving, will be blurry. They'll be out of focus. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is just moving in the background slightly, they'll be all out of focus. They'll be in darkness. They'll be silhouetted. It could look like a shadow figure. Yeah. And if you're reviewing photographs that you took, we've had photographs that um, the person will say, oh, I took this about three years ago and I've only just noticed this person in it. And they say, there was definitely nobody there at the time. Yeah. Well, how do you know this? It was two or three years ago. How mm -hmm. do you remember that there was nobody there at that time? when this is obviously a photograph of a party in your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you know? Yeah. You know, things like this. Um, it's, again, it's pareidolia. People are seeing things that they automatically think is paranormal, but they're not. It's their mind saying that that's something unusual. 
Um, and it's not until you start breaking it down and looking at it at different angles that you start to see the more logical explanations for it of things that it could be. Yeah, have you ever been called by people, obviously, who don't have mental health concerns that are genuinely scared of something happening in their house and kind of want help to remove yeah. it? Or Yeah, we, we have. Um, a lot of the times it's um, quite simple. Again, it's quite simple. It can be something like just new house jitters, you know. People move into a new house or a new flat, and it's a, a new environment. So um, anything new is a little bit strange and a little bit different. Mm. You know, and sleeping your first night in a new house or a, a different flat is always a little bit different. Um, you're not sure, you know, how things are and any little environmental noise or change is going to be new to you. Um, and a lot of people will jump to paranormal conclusions with that. Mm. But once you start to learn that, you know, buildings make noises. I mean, I, I always say to people that buildings talk. They have their own language. Yeah. And a house will talk. It creaks and groans and it squeaks and it clicks and it makes knocking sounds. You know, as, as it gets cooler into the night, a house will make sounds. As it heats up in the morning, as the sun comes out, it'll stretch. The timber stretches and, stretches and um, shrinks. Pipes and steel, you know, they shrink and stretch and bend. Mm. Um, this all makes noises. You only have to sort of turn a hot tap on on a cold morning. Yeah. And you hear your pipes going bang, 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 bang. You know, it's, um, so houses do have their own language. And if you sit in the dark and just listen to it, you'll hear all the sounds in your house. We've had quite a number of stories of just groups of people seen in the house. Like there'll, there'll be like people in all the rooms. There'll be you know like couples sitting on the couch, and there'll be you know two or three guys standing in, in a kitchen, or there'll be you know two people walking down the hallway, and it just sounds like it's a very overcrowded house. You know, you sort of hear all these stories coming from all the rooms in the place, whether there are people just walking around everywhere, and it's not just one ghost. It's like you see it, it appears that there are like people coming and going through these houses. So I find that quite intriguing and that you know, all the family members are all seeing not just the same ghost. Um, oftentimes if one person reckons they see a ghost, then that'll influence another person in that house and they will kind of all feed off each other and the information sort of is shared and they will eventually start seeing the same ghost. But when you get whole families and visitors and, and staff members of, of a business or whatever, all seeing different types of ghosts. Mm. and where they read children and adults and all with different descriptions. That's quite intriguing because it's, they're obviously not influenced by each other because they're all seeing different their own accounts. ghosts. Yeah. 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 So mm. I, I, quite, I find that quite interesting. Uh, the most stuff that I've seen in my time has been very quick and it's just very, very fast. And I've seen it for mm. just a second or two and it's gone. And it's kind of that wow moment of, wow, okay. And you can't really do much. You can, you can document <laughs> it. You can, you can write it down you know document what you saw at the time mm. and journal all the details but again it was just a, a second of time and it's just sort of another piece in that little jigsaw that you store away yeah and i guess that kind of it makes it hard doing what you do when so much of potential ghost sightings or paranormal activity are like that you know they can't be studied because they're random a bit like you mm. know earthquake lights that people saw in Wellington a few years ago. I saw them myself. 12 o'clock at night and <laughs> woke up and ran to the window. I was we're being bombed. What is that? But then, you know, <laughs> things can't be studied because they're so random. And it's kind of like that with, um, with ghost sightings, you know, like the real mm. bizarre things that happen can't be 
quantified, can't be recreated, can't be studied in a scientific way. So yeah, right. does, that, does that sit weird with you knowing that, you know, you come from it from a kind of trying to f- collect facts and prove and disprove and you know that there's just these pockets that you can never really... <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm confident they'll, they'll sort of come our way eventually, but... Um, mm. And um, I think the more you keep doing it, um, the more you find. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's good to have some sort of little um, system. You, you keep it in some sort of ordered system that you can, so you can work it through instead of just having random, you know, going at it randomly um, and just yeah. not knowing really what you're doing. I think it's good to have some sort of formula that you work through. Um, whether you can sort of tick all those boxes, you know, that's a different story. And with the scientific method, it's very hard to tick all those boxes within the paranormal field because you're very limited with what you've got to work with. But you can still have that use that formula, that method. Yeah, and it must be cool yeah. going back to the same place over and over again, trying to... It is. You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm going back tonight. I'm going back to another one of our places tonight to do a solo run. Wow. Um, getting, getting a bit stir-crazy with this lockdown. So yeah, it's just down the road. So And it's empty. It's not being used. It's closed up for the moment. So um, I can go in there and just yeah, stay for a few hours tonight and just let myself in, let myself, you know. And I noticed you've done um, some investigation, actually quite a few, in the UK. Um, yeah, so was there kind of like a next level activity compared to New Zealand ghost hunting? Was there more activity, more? Um, oh, we love the UK. Just, I, I go over there quite a bit. Um, mostly Scotland. I love Scotland. Mm. Um, I mean, they've got so much history there. Um, yeah. I mean, they've got buildings there that are you know, a thousand years old. You know, mm. it's ridiculous. Um, they've got so much history and the haunted history. Every, every pub, every theatre is haunted over there. It's just every location has stories. So you've got so much choice there, so much more than here. Um, so everywhere you go in the UK, you've got haunted locations to check out with, with so many stories connected to each place. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of a different, a new level. Um, again, though, most of the haunted places I've stayed in, we've had nothing really happen. Um, the activity there would be on a par with what we've had happen here, really, just the odd clips wow. and taps and dog, maybe a footstep or... Hmm. Know, just little things, but um, I've never really experienced anything on the levels that you that you hear that you'd hear on television from these locations or reading books from these locations. Um, I mean, some of the places like Chillingham Castle, for example, mm. there's been so much activity here, poltergeist activity, things being thrown around the place, and you know, items just like flying from one side of the room to the other, and just all this amazing activity that you hear about. Mm. But when you stay there, nothing happens. Yeah, <laughs> and. I'm traveling the world with a bag full of equipment, you know, and mm. you want to sort of use it to capture things. And if nothing's happening, it's kind of a waste, but yeah. you've got to do it. You've got to and do how, it. How long would you normally stay in one of these places? Like, would you give it a few nights or a week or one night? Oh, it depends. Yeah. So it can be from one night to, you know, two or three nights, but um, mm. mostly just a, a one night. So, I mean, the chances of something happening in that one night are very slim anyway, but mm, it's about, yeah. it's about going to the places you know, and, and going to the going to where the stories are coming from. Mm. I mean, that's pretty much what we do as a, in a nutshell: is we go where the stories come from. And um, if a place is leg- allegedly haunted, we'll go there and we'll check it out for ourselves. Uh, we want to find the answers for ourselves with first-hand experience mm. and through experimentation and observation and documentation and, and all that kind of thing. We want to do all those things. Those are all part of the scientific method and we can do that. We can document, we can recreate, we can experiment, we can do all those things within the scientific method. Um, 
so we do as much as we can in, in those locations but yeah it's just it's about going you know you're not going to find the answers if you don't go <laughs> yeah. sitting at home you're not going to find it if a place is haunted you need to actually go there and try try your luck with it really have you got anything um any locations on your like list to do list or like you know that you're still hoping to get to like big um, ones well as soon as i can get back to the uk i've got a massive list i've got a huge list of uh um locations all lined up ready to go um but and in new zealand yeah we've got a good 10 locations at the moment which have, have stacked up since lockdowns that we um the owners of the, of the places are, are keen to have us in and um we just need to get out of this lockdown so we yeah. can get out there what about the US? Like anything, does that ever kind of appeal to you, investigating over there? You got any? Yeah, I haven't spent too much time in the US. I've been, I've been to Vegas, uh, spent a few nights there, and uh, um, spent a few times uh, staying at the Luxa Hotel and a few places like that. And um, Area 51, I've sort of driven out to the Nevada drive oh, out to cool. the driveway <laughs> of the Area 51 and uh, all that kind of thing, you know, all the touristy things. Nice. But uh, not so much. No, we've um, I spent a lot of time in Hawaii as well. I did a lot of investigating, investigating over in Hawaii. Um, you wrote a book about your experiences. Um, yeah, can you tell got, us a bit about that? Yeah, I've got three books, actually. Wow. Three books out. The first one was uh, Voices in the Walls, which was my first attempt at writing a book, and that had uh, a lot of um, sort of uh, investigation notes and uh, investigation reports written in there, as well as a few contrib contributions from other research friends and acquaintances in the field. Then we did another one called uh, Talking to Shadows, mm. Talking to Shadows, which is like a follow-up of that book. And then I got uh, picked up by a publisher who wanted me to do one, um, which we called Haunted New Zealand Road Trip. Oh, yeah. And it's, that's the one I basically drove around uh, for a couple of years around the country and just stayed in every single haunted location and uh, documented each trip. And uh, that, was, that was good fun. Enjoyed that. I'm hoping to do another one. Cool. at some stage but um that was that was a good one awesome and where can you find them are they your most recent um yeah all three of them are on, on amazon um the haunted new zealand road trip was available in uh, most of the bookshops around the place um it wasn't all the bookshops it might be in the sale bins now who knows <laughs> cool um but yeah all three of them are available through amazon awesome that's so cool and um obviously you um have your website and the youtube channel just hauntedauckland.com. Cool. That's our resource website that uh, covers the whole country and uh, all our adventures and notes and bits and pieces that we document there. And we have a YouTube page with all our, um, just, you just type in uh, Haunted Auckland on YouTube and that'll take you, to our, uh, take you to our YouTube channel, which has got about 140 something videos oh, wow. at the moment. And that's so you can film all of your investigations and... Have well, you... we, we film them anyway. Like, we have quite a number of cameras. We, we could have up to, like, 10, sometimes 12 cameras filming at one time in each location. And it got to the point where we just had hard drives full of footage that once we, once we reviewed it all and when looked through it all, because we have to go through all that footage whenever we've finished an investigation. We have to review mm -hmm. it all again in real time um, to look for evidence. Um, but after that, when all that's done, we have just hours and hours of footage just you know, sitting around doing nothing. So I decided to you know, start piecing some of it together and um, make little videos, um, just showing different camera angles and uh, just to sort of document, you know, that investigation for anybody that wants to watch it. 
just it just sort of shows people what we do and here here's us in action here's what we do you know yeah and a lot of it's us just sitting around in the dark but that's what it is it is what it is, it is, what it is and, yeah. um, <laughs> keep it real no faking just keep it real and just for anybody that's interested in the paranormal and the investigation that we do um you know, they could watch the videos and sort of be a part of it in some way Thanks for listening to Ghost Stories Aotearoa. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button to be notified when our next episode drops. Ghost Stories Aotearoa is produced by Spectre Media and hosted by me, Lisette Prende, with music by James from Dr. Bad Film, a podcast about bad movies. If you have a ghost story you'd like to share with us, please get in touch at ghoststoriesaotearoa at gmail.com. Tune in again for Ghost Stories Aotearoa, that is, if you dare.